What's going on, everybody, and welcome to episode 19 of the Did You Hear podcast, part of the Blue Wire Hustle podcast network. I'm Emma Houghton. He's Pat Zhang. You can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Did You Hear Pod. And Pat, we have such a good interview today. We're so excited about. Oh, I'm so thrilled to have this guest on. He is the man that always has his finger on the state of the Nova Nation. Uh, just a fantastic interview for us to have on, a fellow Villanova alumni, and we are so excited to bring this one to you. Yep, so it's Eugene Repay. He is the head of VU Hoops, the Villanova basketball website, the host of the State of the Nova Nation podcast, and you can find him on Twitter at Repay 5 So just for some context, this podcast was recorded on Sunday night before the Big East tournament. So with that all being said, sit back, relax, and we will be back for numbers and best of segment right after this. All right, well, we are joined today by Eugene Repay, the head of VU Hoops, host of the State of the Nova Nation podcast, and a great Twitter follow at Repay 5 Eugene, thank you so much for being here. We're so excited to talk some Big East. No problem. Thanks for having me on. It's that time of the year again, guys. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it really is, and we couldn't be more excited to have a fellow Villanova alum to talk about it with. Yeah, it's always nice. It's always nice to keep the blue and white going. <laughs> of course. Love that. So, Eugene, so we have the, the bracket set, obviously. We're going to do some Villanova-centric questions towards the end, probably. But why don't you start us off with the story the most interesting storyline that you have this week going into the Big East tournament? For me, it's it's got to be UConn. Them yep. being back in the Big East for the first time this year since going to the AAC and then their whole debacle, whether or not they wanted to be a football school or not. <laughs> and now they're back in the Big East, and they have a pretty good shot at winning it as the three seed, considering how Nova is going to be limping into the playoffs or into the postseason with a couple injuries. And then you have Creighton, who's going through some late-season drama that's come up at possibly the worst time. Right. Oh, for sure. Emma, what, what storyline are you looking at? Yeah, I hate, to, I hate to be obvious here, but I think the most interesting storyline is Villanova and how yeah. serious that Justin Moore ankle injury is. And with the loss of Colin Gillespie, I think that automatically, to quote you, Pat, cuts the ceiling in half of this team. <laughs> And you, you think that the, the brunt of the offensive load, especially because when we watched the Nova game this past weekend, we saw Jeremiah Robinson Earl struggle on the offensive end. So the offensive load was on more. And for him to go out, it didn't seem like a horribly serious injury. But now Jay Wright and co. are saying that it's severe. We'll obviously get the news soon, maybe even before this episode airs. But it'll be whether more is active – if he is, how he's going to be able to carry this team, how him and Jeremiah Robinson Earl are going, going to be able to carry this team through the tournament. And if not, who else is going to step up on Nova so that can, they can form a semblance of a competitive team at this point? No, for sure. And on UConn, I completely agree. And I think we're going to talk a little bit more about the Huskies in a little bit. I, I think it, I wish there were fans to be able to fully get that experience of UConn being back in the tournament, but it's going to be very exciting there. And then for, for Villanova, as you said, just think about this. Villanova has been in every Big East tournament final since 2014 or since 2015, excuse me. Last time they were out of it was 2014 and they won it the last three years that they held it. This is there's a chance that things are different this year. And that'll lead me into a storyline that I'm looking at. And that is, 
are the Red Storm going to keep riding the wave? I, mm. St. John's has been such an interesting team to follow throughout the season. I mean, they've won nine of their last 12, so they've been hot of late. They won their last two. Really nice rebound after uh, you know the DePaul loss was a brutal from about a week ago. Of course, then got blown out by Villanova, followed it up with a solid win against Providence and a nice win against Seton Hall. I like what St. John's does. I love the pacing that they push at it. We'll see if Posh Alexander is healthy. I think that's going to be a really big thing to look out for this week. But, I mean, look, look at what they just did there with Champagny being named on the Big East first team. You had Alexander as a unanimous uh, Big East all-freshman first teamer. They're interesting to watch, and they are on Villano- Villanova's side of the bracket. So could uh, could set up in a very interesting Friday night matchup. Yeah, Eugene, what do you think it took on St. John's side to even the, the ship for them? What was that steadying force? How did St. John's come on so quickly, so late? It, it's got to be, you know, all credit to Mike Anderson. He's been doing such yes. a great job. And that guy, when he came in, I'm sure there was some doubt. Some people wanted some local flavor. A little people, uh, some people were curious as to who is this guy. But he came from Arkansas with a pretty solid resume. He's never had a losing season. He comes into St. John's promising non-con play, but they fizzled out in his first season. And once Big East rolled around this time around one full year under his belt, he comes in year two and they're just playing great. They got a nice blend of freshmen and veteran presences from Vince Cole, Rasheed Dunn to Isaiah Moore. And then of course, as you mentioned, Pat with Julian Champagne and Posh Alexander, those guys are just so much fun. And, it seems like they've all bought into his program or, you know, his direction. And so far, things have been going pretty well for the Johnnies. I, I love Anderson, and I, I love the job he's done there. I mean, think about it. I believe he's never had a losing season as a, as a head coach in college hoops. That's incredible. And he, he brought that resume to St. John's. And while Mullen did a very nice job at bringing recruiting, he wasn't the best tactician as a coach. I think you really see Anderson able to put it all together as I was talking about before, that tempo. I love how they run it on offense. Defense, they are miserable to play against with that press. And you know what? There is enough talent around that I do think St. John's is a team to look at that could make a little bit of a run here. I think that it's Seton Hall is, is having St. John's is not a great matchup for the Pirates with how St. John's can really push that tempo. I think that's a problem for them. So I, I like St. John's, and I, I really am looking at them as a chance to make a run here. It is that tempo, right? And it's just so unique to them. Honestly, them in in the entire country. I'm not sure how many teams can really keep up with that tempo. But that actually leads perfectly. I know it was probably your turn to ask a question, but this was just... No, go for it. So I really separate the Big East this year into two categories. And it was interesting because last year, Jay Wright, Anderson, Patrick Ewing, a lot of coaches in the Big East truly felt that last year was the most balanced one to 10 at the time before UConn came in one to 10, every single team was competitive in this conference. Every single team could go on, go out on any night and win. I don't feel like it's as balanced this year. So I really cut it. I really cut it at number seven, Xavier, who has had an Mm -hmm. interesting season themselves, but the bottom, the bottom tier of, Georgetown, Marquette, Butler, DePaul. Providence propelled themselves into the sixth seed, which is good for them. But Eugene, what team are you looking at in those bottom four, that bottom tier that I just mentioned? What team do you think could pull off a surprising run in this tournament? I, you know, to be honest, I, I wouldn't be surprised if uh, – wait, we're looking at the, the bottom four, correct? Right. 
Honestly, I, I wouldn't be surprised if Georgetown were to, were to do something just because you look at their guys and Javon Blair and Jamarco Pickett and Cutis Wahab. They're just tough inside. And for Patrick Ewing, this was a team that was predicted to finish in last place going into the regular season. And obviously, they, they didn't take dead last. They're towards the bottom of the spectrum, but they've been getting a lot out of a team that was hurt from a lot of people transferring out from Akinjo mm-hmm. to McClung. You have Javon Blair, Jamarco Pickett, Cutis Wahab stepping up. Chudia Bile has been just a complete revelation from an unknown, didn't really do much in the first half of the season. He gets a shot to start after what looked like some disciplinary issues. He got to get off the bench and enter the starting five. And ever since then, he's been playing very well in the second half of the year, averaging just over in 10 points per game. He's been a little bit of a surprise. And with the way that Villanova is hurting, with the way that Marquette is right now, I wouldn't be surprised if they make a little bit of noise on that side of the bracket. I like that pick. I like that pick. I, I, I think they are the most unpredictable, honestly. And I mean that as a compliment because especially Marquette Villanova has just dismantled Marquette each time they've seen them. It's obviously <laughs> a different look Villanova team this time around, if they do end up playing Marquette Butler can go out there and put a good performance together. We saw that when they faced Villanova, but I really think Georgetown has the talent and the coaching and the experience to get there. They won't have Aaron Thompson, but I agree, Eugene, that I, I would pick Georgetown out of that bunch too. What do you think, Pat? So you're saying you're not DePaul believers? I out of that? can't <laughs> say I'm confident this year, but I do <laughs> like Charlie Moore. No, it, it's funny because my question was going to stem with from which team that plays on day one of the, of the Big East tournament do you think could make a run? And I, yeah. I do like Xavier from that. But if we're going from the, the eight seed and beyond – I feel I do. I hate to agree, but I, I go with Georgetown just with Marquette. You know, the potential matchup with Villanova, we've seen it doesn't work. Uh, as I've talked about throughout the year, I, I am not a Butler believer, despite what they did to Villanova. And I think Providence showed some of their warts, even in a win uh, over the weekend against the Cats. So going to Georgetown, especially with Villanova being the next thing up, we saw what big men can do against Villanova all year long with that interior defense. Kudus Wahab has the potential to really, really torch Nova on Thursday. So I say, why not with Georgetown? I do like kind of their blend of shooting outside as well. With Ewing, you know, in the garden, let's put it together and say Georgetown's got a chance. That's a good point. Ewing in the garden, too. I love that storyline. Wouldn't that be interesting if, like, the past couple of years we've gotten Georgetown and St. John's, but it's been on Wednesday night, and yeah. we could possibly get Georgetown and St. John's on Friday night at the garden instead? Changing <laughs> of the guard. be something to watch for. Yeah. yeah. The problem is, though, I'm sure Nova fans would not want that at all, especially some of the <laughs> no. older alumni. They, they would probably be no. a personal nightmare. <laughs> no, I and I would agree with that. And man, I hope Villanova can get past whoever they play here. But a lot of that I do think falls on Justin Moore uh, for that. But so we've kind of talked about some of the other teams. You did mention Creighton before, Eugene. So look, kind of looking at Creighton's outlook in this, I, I they drew the short end of the stick here. Xavier fought them tough this season, came away one and one against the Blue Jays. A potential Friday night matchup against Connecticut in there. What do we think of Creighton's prospects to be able to go all the way and take home the tournament? It's very possible. You look at yeah. Greg McDermott, he's just such mm. a an offensive wizard and the firepower that they have with five different players scoring in double figures. It's very balanced. As talented as Marcus Zagorowski is, and he's definitely mm-hmm. the guy that drives the ship, 
you got to love their balance. You got to love what they've been able to do scoring wise. They're the second highest scoring team in the big East. They lead the conference in shooting percentage and three point percentage. He's a wizard. And the other thing too is they're pretty solid defensively. It felt like the Creighton teams of the past, or you look at the Doug McDermott teams, they were offensive gurus, but they kind of slacked a little bit on D. It was kind of like a street ball team. But this time around, they've got their things going on both ends of the court. It's just you got to really wonder what's going on in that locker room. That's like the only question that I have for that team. I think so, too. Yeah, and I completely agree. And I think that's the thing with them is how what is going on in that locker room? How are they responding? Because we know they have all the talent. You are 100 percent right on the defensive side of the ball. This is the best Creighton defensive team in in five or six years, according to Ken Palm efficiency, they're at 48th in the country with, you know what, that's okay for Creighton with how they play on offense. Cause you know, they're going to outscore you. Uh, the, the one thing that could hurt them is that they are a very poor free throw shooting team. Uh, they're in the, the mid sixties there, but you know, there's so much talent, as you said, balanced Denzel Mahoney. I don't think it's enough credit for how important he is. Mitch Ballack might just be the best shooter in the big East. Honestly, he probably is. Uh, Creighton should be primed, but they did get a tough draw here with the, with the seedings. Yeah, they did. I mean, UConn, I think easily is could have swapped Creighton with how good they played at the end of the season as the two seed. I really believe that, but this actually, Pat, I'll ask you this first. Mm -hmm. Let's say, let's say more comes back. And I'll say this even before I get into my, my analysis of Creighton. Is McDermott being suspended? I don't think we have a timeline for his suspension. We don't. Yeah. Is, is he being on the sidelines or Gillespie being on the sidelines? A bigger, a, a bigger weakness for each respective team. Mm, it, it's an interesting way to, to pose the question. For me, it's still the Villanova's hurting more without yeah. Gillespie because, of course, they would miss what everything that McDermott does for that Creighton program. But just I think we saw what, what Villanova can look like. But now, I, I thought it was a very poor showing. I think they are better than what we saw on Saturday. But, you know, if, if Gillespie's not there, they lose their leader. They lose the point guard. They lose the guy that, you know, uh, organizes everything on defense. They lose their shot maker. Can go on and on and on there. So I will say that Gillespie is, I think, a bigger loss. Eugene, do you agree? Yeah, 100%. You look at if Gillespie was healthy and able to play, Pat, you talked about Villanova's streak of finals appearances. Yep. I think we penciled them back in there for Saturday night. I feel really good about it. With him out, I don't know. I don't know if it's a given anymore. I don't think it's going to be as easy. I I wasn't going to be – I wasn't going to be nearly as nice. I was going to say, I don't know if we can pencil them in for Friday night. (laughs) (laughs) It depends on Justin Moore. It depends on Justin Moore. Exactly. My thoughts. But I think I think Creighton is very well balanced. Their offense is underrated. They also have guys like Bishop and Mahoney, like you mentioned, Pat, that don't even get enough credit, and they completely anchor that team. If Zegarowski and Balik are getting all of the the headline news, I think they are a horrible matchup for a lot of teams because of their tempo and because of how efficient they are from behind the arc. And I the, I think the best matchup could be that Creighton UConn game potentially Friday mm-hmm. night in the semifinal round. Yeah, that, that would be a ton of fun. And I, I hope we do get that, but Emma, do you want to go Villanova centric then before we do predictions on who wins this thing? Yeah. Yeah. I have a, I have a Villanova centric question. So actually it's it semi ties back into the big East too, but Eugene, if, can you tell us who you thought the most dangerous team coming into the big East conference was the, the conference tournament was before the Gillespie injury. And if it was Villanova, 
without Gillespie now, who is that most dangerous team? So uh, the answer for me before the Gillespie injury was definitely Villanova just because Mm -hmm. of their pedigree and what they do at Madison Square Garden. And even in 2019, when they last won the Big East tournament title, that team, they had went, they had gone through so much with Phil Booth and Eric Pascal at the helm, and they had some adversity to deal with. I mean, you look at that Furman loss and that Penn loss, and you just mm-hmm. think, wow, this, this is this really a Big East championship team? Yeah. But, you know, they've really bounced back hard from that. Unfortunately, with Gillespie out, I don't know if they could bounce back from him gone and potentially more. So now... Post-injury, I would say that the most dangerous team for me is has got to be UConn. You look at James Booknight, the guy's just a gamer. He's so electric, so dynamic, and they're coming in pretty hot. They've won six of their last seven games with their only loss coming at Nova, and that was just Booknight's second game back from his elbow injury. They're great he was rebounding. still dealing with some issues there, too. Yeah, yeah, that's also true. But they have a great rebounding team. They generate a lot of second-chance points. Everyone from one through five is very active. I just think that as much as I did not want to buy into the trash talk from you <laughs> on Twitter, I think the Huskies might get uh, quite the welcoming back to Madison Square Garden. People yeah. would love that. Non-Big as, East fans would love that, as in Villanova fans. <laughs> <laughs> as do I. And yeah, I, I agree. I think Villanova was your most dangerous team coming in. And again, I hate I hate to agree, but I th- the Huskies are just so dangerous right now. And as you said, they're on fire. Book Knight is really leading them. I love what they do on defense. I'm a big Sonogo fan as well on the interior. UConn's poised to make some noise this week. And, you know, it's it's year one being back, as, as Eugene just said, but I'm not willing to bet against Danny Hurley over there. So it, it is poised to be a, a such a really fun week with them back. Yeah, I think – I think Creighton is an obvious pick here. I think UConn is the the sleeper exciting pick. I really liked Xavier before they lost five of their last seven. That kind of slowed all their momentum there. And I really liked St. John's before they lost three of their last six. So it was interesting to see where these teams ended because for some teams like UConn, they use this as a momentum shift. And for some teams like, Xavier and Villanova even, but for different reasons, a lot of red flags came up. So I'll say St. John's, they've had a lot of red flags lately, but I love the way they play the game. I love their scores. I think they're incredibly well coached. Like we talk about, I think they also have a massive chip on their shoulder and a lot of teams are counting them out. And in an arena like Madison square garden, even without fans, it's, it's electric enough where St. John's might be able to make some, some magic happen. I, I think it'll be a big deal for St. John's playing at the Garden, being that they didn't get to play there this year, as they right. you know normally would as one of their home floors, but they played the whole season on Carnesecca. So, you know, go, going out to the Garden, I would not be surprised at all if St. John's comes out flying uh, against Seton Hall. And, and like I said, I really do think that they have potential to, to make some noise if, if things fall their way, which, again, when I say things fall their way, it all, it all revolves around Justin Moore. That he really is the big domino of the week, in, in my opinion, is what is his health? Because if Villanova's missing him, I, I just don't think they have the scoring to be able to get it done. But if he's back, they, I, there is a chance that they can go on a run. Eugene, that, I mean, that kind of fits into my question, too. What do you see as Villanova's biggest weakness right now? 
right now it's it's you got to think it's well putting the injuries aside but look at mm. who they're missing they're missing two of their top three scorers they still have jeremiah robinson earl who's been leading yep. the team in scoring and rebounding but who's going to get them the ball and which guards are going to run the paint that's that's what i want to know whether that's chris archie diacono brian antoine right now villanova needs to find its identity real quick or manage something while these guys are out whether that's justin moore if he's able to come back or the next man up at that point Okay, can we yeah. give some credit to Chris Archidiakno first? <laughs> because that was an incredible performance by him. Again, I got a great surprise. Yeah. I shocked. Nice. Yeah, I was really impressed by it, um, especially on the defensive side of the ball, because I think that's where we were really going to see some weakness, and it didn't come out at all on defense. So uh, I, I was impressed there. And I think if Villanova is able to get it done, I'll put it this way, it is going to be because Caleb Daniels stepped up. That, that is how I feel here, and that he has – it's been a struggle for Daniels kind of this this latter half of the season. Uh, it, if Villanova is going to find a way to get to Saturday night, I believe that Caleb Daniels is going to have a huge hand in it because I'm not sure how they get there without it. And it's just the, it's the idea of having shooters, right? It's the yeah. fact that Jay Wright didn't put Cole Swider in the game with three seconds left to, with a, a two to win. And Cole Swider wasn't in the game. He was recruited because of his three-point shooting ability. My biggest weakness, and it, they, they really go hand in hand, it's – how is Villanova going to shape up against some of these big, big centers? And that's Cutis Wahab. That's Nate Watson, if Providence gets that far. Mm-hmm. It's Andrew Mamokilashvili. It's Damian Jefferson, even. Uh, and it's uh, Sonogo on Connecticut, obviously, too. Jeremiah Robinson, Earl, Jeremiah Robinson Earl needs to step up offensively because Pat and I agree that we think he looked passive against Providence. Shooters need to step up but jeremiah robinson earl also needs to start locking down big men on the other side and that's a larger goal for the ncaa tournament because pat and i have gone down the list of luca garza hunter dickinson what are some other names that we've thrown out there pat kofi i mean just on like you said just just look in their own conference you know how they're going to deal with the bigger guys as they say the sonogos at uconn you know mama college feel is not a true center but you know has a good inside game nate watson torched them it it just look there and see where they've struggled so when you don't have the front court depth too that's another issue exactly and so that's where i'm going to go with with villanova's weakness that i I go into it so if we're going to go scoring and then defense I'm going to say it's it's ball movement and distribution. So one of the things that I, I say really was the biggest red flag, or one of the bigger red flags from the Providence game, was that Archidiakono led the team in assists with two, and they finished with just eight as a whole. Uh, without Gillespie there, you know, we talk about all the scoring and, and everything that he brings in that way. Just to not have that facilitator there to really get guys in position. I don't think we saw great movement from Villanova against Providence. The spacing wasn't ideal. You know, without your lead guy there, it felt like everything else got thrown off as well. So I'll be very interested to see if, you know, this week in practice, they're really harping on that. And if we see a more spaced out, more fluid Villanova take the floor on Thursday afternoon, because if it's anything like how the spacing was on Saturday, they're going to have some trouble. That's that's a really good point. Could we see Chris Archidiakno in a starting lineup without Justin It's been thrown around. It's been it's thrown, been thrown out there. And honestly, just seeing him play at the end during crunch time there, that leads me to believe that Jay might want to do that. He it, might do, it truly know, was. That was crazy. such an impressive performance. 
Crazy enough, C.J. Holmes from The Athletic said it before Justin Moore got hurt. He threw out there, you know, maybe Archie Diakono gets gets some minutes. And now we saw what he did out there. I can't say I would be shocked if you see Arch starting on, on Thursday. I do think it's going to be Slater and Antoine is going mm-hmm. to be my guess for the lineup on Thursday. But if Archie Diakono is out there, after what I saw on Saturday, wouldn't surprise me. <laughs> no, and I wouldn't be completely panicked like I obviously would have been before that first. The shooting's still not there, but I was impressed by his ball handling skills, and he didn't shy away from the moment at all. That, that's the biggest thing, the pressure of being in that moment when it feels like the sky is falling. And he really lived up to his brother's name, too. Yeah. You can never count out an Archie Diacono. <laughs> never. That's okay. right. Never Especially at Villanova. Can't do Keep it. Keep them coming through Villanova. <laughs> we love that. All right. Well, then that leaves us with just one more question. And what is your Saturday night matchup, Eugene? And who takes this thing home? Oof. You know, it's funny because just before you guys had me on here, I was kind of doing some preparation myself. And I was looking at the bracket coming up with all these different possibilities and I, I think you always just have to go with your gut and I, I honestly believe unfortunately for Villanova I think we're going to see St. John's UConn on Saturday night oh that I think would be UConn, a fun one UConn takes it all wow mm. wow that that would wow that would that would uh, <laughs> that would be such a fun matchup not for Villanova's perspective obviously <laughs> but would be very cool for you know Big East tournament Emma what do you think it's funny because I said that point at the beginning about how last year we saw my, more of a balanced conference, but this year might be the more fun tournament. I think Villanova probably would have ran away, Creighton maybe close, but with, Villanova might have run away with the Big East Conference ch- tournament title last year. I will go Seton Hall, wow. Creighton. Wow, I, I wasn't think, expecting Seton Hall. I kind of think – Mamu's going to turn beast mode in this tournament. He plays well at the garden. He does. And I, I, again, same, just like Eugene said, I'm going to go with my gut and I really love UConn, but I can't pick UConn over Creighton right now. I can't. And I'm, wow. I, think, I, I think Creighton would run, would take it at the end too. I'm still getting over the shock of Seton Hall. Cause I, I yeah. think Seton Hall's in big trouble, but I, I, I like it going out there. All right. And the, <laughs> I'm going to pick Villanova. To get there. All that said, I think Villanova gets there on Saturday night. It will not shock me if it's St. John's there, but I do think Nova gets it done. I'm going to go optimistic and say that Justin Moore plays uh, okay. on the bottom. Is he going to score about 45 points? You think on average this tournament? They they might need it honestly. <laughs> um, on the on the bottom half, I'm going to go UConn as well, and I also believe that the Huskies take this thing home. I think we have a new champion. Uh, for the first time since 2016 when Seton Hall won. And I think UConn comes back to the Big East and wins the Big East tournament. What an incredible homecoming moment. <laughs> Depending on who you talk to. Yeah, yeah it's exactly. It. it will be Great. bittersweet if it happens, but. It just makes, we, Eugene, we talked to Dana O'Neill, one of our first episodes of this conference and she, uh, this podcast, sorry. And she said, Villanova needs a perennial competitor. And UConn fits that mold completely. And if they were to go out, yes, Villanova is not full, full strength and there might be an asterisk, but I think if UConn can go out and win its first Big East title in its first year back, that would just be insane. Why did they ever leave in the first place? Football, football, football. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it would be re- really interesting. And, and Eugene, I lied, I have one more question for you. Um, are the Knicks fully back? Oh, <laughs> <Ooh. laughs> 
that's you know for for a team that's just hovering over 500 uh i think a lot of people will tell you that they're back but the it's it's just so unfortunate with the empty arenas because i would love to know what madison square garden looks like under thibodeau's reign right now he is he's doing something he's he's who would have thought that we had fisdale like a a year ago or two years ago and everyone was defending him and now i guess we know what quality it looks like yeah, I yeah, I, I couldn't let that pass up without asking you, um, knowing how near and dear the New York Knicks are to your heart. So too too easy. But yeah, no, it's just fun to watch them. You know, Julius Randle's gonna get to play in the All Star game in just a little bit, so uh, that'll be that'll be really cool. But all right, Eugene, thank you so much for coming on with us. We really appreciate it. Uh, it was awesome being able to speak to you. So again, that's Eugene Repay, head of BU Hoops. Go check out what he writes on there. Host the State of the Nova Nation podcast. Just search BU Hoops on the iTunes store and you can give him a follow at eRepay5. So thanks so much, Eugene. Yeah, thanks again, guys. Thanks, Eugene. Pat, we've literally been talking about Eugene having him on forever, and it was so good. It was just so great to to make it happen and super exciting. He was fantastic. He gives yeah. such great insight. I mean, he covers so many different things. Uh, he's a fantastic journalist, and we were just thrilled to finally be able to speak with him. It's one thing to, to know everything about Nova, but some of the stuff he was bringing up about St. John's and UConn even blew me away. So I'm, I'm glad we were able to make it as general as it was because – there are a lot of sleeper teams that could make a run. This is going to be a very exciting week here at the Big East yeah. Tournament. I think you're going to see some changes from what we've seen over the past couple years. And I think a big reason of that would be the news that came out a little earlier today. Yeah, so we we had to get into this. And that's why I prefaced that this was recorded on Sunday. Pat and I are recording this right now on Monday night. So again, New news could surface before Before. this episode comes out, right after (laughs) the episode comes out. That seems to always be how it is. But Justin Moore, Jay Wright, actually, I think was who broke it, correct? Yes, yeah, he tweeted it out. So Jay getting a little active on Twitter now. Which is interesting, (laughs) yeah. But Jay Wright tweeted out that Justin Moore has a severe ankle sprain and he is doubtful for the Big East tournament. Yeah, that's not what you like to hear, Uh, especially after what we saw that Villanova offense look like against Providence on Saturday. Uh, As you just heard me, I did pick Villanova to get to the final and saying more was going to play. I'm not one to change my picks, but I can't (laughs) say I feel entirely confident that Villanova will be still standing come Saturday night. I mean, looking at it, this is a fantastic opportunity for your pick, Seton Hall, for St. John's to make a run. I still leave the door open for Georgetown as well. I do not think you will see Marquette there on Saturday night. But, I mean, there there is a chance we get a very interesting and very different Big East tournament, either Friday, Friday night and possibly Saturday night, too. I mean, the differences between the, the, the top side of the bracket and the bottom side of the bracket, too. Jeez. But I, yeah. you're right. With St. John's, seemingly, I know mine was a sleeper pick in Satan Hall. That was honestly just to mix it up, too. <laughs> but St. John's, it's wide open for them. Georgetown could really mix things up. And I like that you're sticking with Nova because you, first, you're not one to, to go back in your opinion. Oh, I'm also, not changing. Who knows? Who knows? It's just A, surprising. Not that I thought it wasn't a serious injury, mm-hmm. but it must be really, really bad for Moore not to be playing. And I see, I say, here's the thing. With, with Gillespie out, it just, you said it, it cuts the ceiling in half. And you wonder what the plan is going to look like anyway. And it starts with the Big East tournament. If you're really valuing the NCAA tournament, maybe you let more rest. Because what were the chances of Villanova beating 
Creighton or Yukon or even St. John's without a healthy Gillespie for the whole time anyway. That's no, kind of what I'm thinking. It's a really good point, and I think that is honestly a big part of what's going into their thinking for here with Moore, and I'm not doubting that he is injured and, and right. injured badly on this, but, you know, it's not like Villanova's fighting to try to get that automatic bid. That's we exactly know, what I mean. We yeah. know they're in, so if he's going to give Moore some rest because that ankle's just not going to heal, you know, that that's okay in my book. Now, I'm, I'm again, not expecting the prettiest showing from Villanova, but I do think they there is still a possible path for them to find a way to get to Saturday night. I mean, we kind of talked about it in that interview. It all revolves around Caleb Daniels in my eyes, and if Jeremiah is going to step up and try to try to really dominate. So it, it's it's interesting, and like I said, the Big East is wide open. I'm really excited, and my team to spotlight. I think UConn is your champion, but this is a chance for St. John's to make some noise. I feel it. I don't know why. But I just, I really like watching them this year. Posh Alexander just got named co-defensive player of the year as a freshman right. in the conference. Yeah. They just, I feel like they're primed and have a chance. An automatic bid is the only way they're in, right? They're no Most longer likely. on the bubble. Yeah. I would doubt they get a, I would doubt they get in as an at-large. So yeah. if they, if they can make a run here, have a really good showing, maybe they can get in. Obviously, if they win the whole thing, they're in. Yeah. And there are a few teams who are pushing for that too, Xavier. Yep. Yeah, Xavier's definitely. The, on this the is a very important. This isn't like the Big East of some past years where you know seven teams are getting in. It's right. not going to be like that this year. So this is really key for some of these teams to to try and make a run and try and win this thing. Yeah, I'm so excited. And and no matter what, we'll have you covered with Nova recaps too throughout the tournament. Hopefully, we have more than one. You know, <laughs> we're hopeful yeah, about that. Yeah, let's hope so. But um, we'll we'll have coverage no matter what. So obviously, we hope Justin Moore gets better quickly. Villanova is not the same without him, but there is a lot of other talent on this Villanova squad that could step up and and potentially help Nova win some games. I don't doubt that at all. For sure. No, I I can't wait for everything to get started on Wednesday afternoon. Yeah. All right, so that we just had to talk about, obviously, because the news came out just a few hours ago, honestly. Now let's move to new followers of the week, and then we'll have numbers and Mm -hmm. best of. So on Twitter, two new followers, two podcasts in Blue Wire Hustle, so we really appreciate that support. Props and Hops, at Props and Hops Pod, and the Red and Gold Standard Podcast, at RGS Pod. Red and Gold Standard just launched this week. Super excited to hear their content. They're the San Francisco beat. And then Matt Landis hosts the Props and Hops. His podcast is awesome. It's football and beer and betting, and it's so good to listen to. Matt's a phenomenal host. So we really appreciate that on the Twitter side. And then on Instagram, Jevin threw us a follow on at Did You Hear Pod, and we are about to go record with him. So make sure to check out that episode that drops on the Left Side Heavy podcast. Thanks for the follow there, Jevin. Yeah, really excited to record with Jevin. Should be a lot of fun to be able to, uh, to talk with him for a little bit. Yeah, and like we said, we will continue the tradition going. We had more reviews this week, which we really, really appreciate. We had our first person pick our best of segment, which is the deal. If you leave us a review, you can pick a best of segment for us. A little disclaimer here, make sure to throw your name in your review or tweet at Did You Hear Pod a screenshot of your review just so we can keep track and, and the people who'd have left us who have left us reviews and we don't know your name, make sure to reach out to us so that we can engage with you there, just so everybody is uh, keeping in, get, keeping each other in the loop, right? Yeah, exactly. And we really appreciate all the new reviews that were left for us this week, and we're excited to keep interacting with you. Yeah, so excited. So, Pat, I have to start with the number. Please do. Because just like I said, we got 
the short end of the stick with more because we recorded before the more news came out. We got the absolute best end of the stick with the Dak Prescott news because literally 30 minutes before we recorded, it's 8 o'clock on Monday night, Dak Prescott just signed a four-year, $160 million deal with the Dallas Cowboys. Yeah, as you said, great great timing for us for it to come out right before we record. And I will put it very simply, they had to do it. There was yep. no other way that this could have shaped out for Dallas that would have left them in any sort of tenable situation. I'm really happy for Dak that he got his money. He's played as one of the better quarterbacks in the league for multiple years now, coming out as a mid-round draft pick out of Mississippi State. Of course, had the horrific injury this season, but still you know, deserved to get paid for it. And as I said, Dallas had to do it. We, we see what happens with these teams when they're not able to you know, have that top tier quarterback. And he is a top tier quarterback, in my opinion. So uh, good for him to get his money. Dallas needed to do it. I think it made way too much sense for it not to happen. Yeah, I actually think it it not only made way too much sense, it was the Cowboys' only option, and they forced themselves into that corner by waiting so long to pay him in the first place. So I have two numbers. They're both about Dak Prescott, and I want to say both of them just because they're so mind-blowing. And usually I try and say numbers that – people won't have heard of before this. These two you might, just because of how much Twitter is blowing up right now. The first is 75. And that is the amount, 75 million, I clarify. (laughs) That is the amount of money that Dak Prescott will make in year one of this contract. That's insane. So it's a four-year, $160 million. $126 million is guaranteed. So that means that the first three years, he's making an average of $42 million a year. This is where things get crazy. The deal includes a $66 million signing bonus, which is the highest in NFL history, plus a $9 million base salary, which equals $75 million in year one. That is the most in NFL history. It was the only way... That the Cowboys could uh, could have hap- could have um, fitted under know, the cap, right? Really, like could have fitted under the cap. Actually, he's getting paid less than what the cap hit would have been, so it is a win-win for both sides. But I just I feel strongly that Dak deserved this money two years ago, and if yep. it had been two years ago, it would have been on a significantly smaller scale, which I think is more in tune with what his talent level is at. But because the Cowboys played around for so long, this was the only way that was going to cut it. And I think it is incredibly well-deserved, all $75 million of it. It's really strange that they rushed to extend Ezekiel Elliott as soon as he wanted a contract extension and then played such a waiting game on Prescott. I can't say I really understand it. Uh, But as you said, it's a ton of money, but... I think it's thoroughly deserved. We see how he performs as one of the top top quarterbacks in the league. We can throw the ball down the field. He puts Dallas in winning positions. He comes through in the clutch. I, as a Giants fan, as a fan, I can't stand him. As an analyst, yeah. I think he's he's great. Yeah, and he and he showed how integral he is to this Cowboys team. The Cowboys are nothing without Dak Prescott. He's their leader. They love yeah. him there. It just it had to be done. Yeah. So my my other stat is is one. The craziest number I heard this week, or my second craziest, is one. Because Prescott is now one of 22 quarterbacks from the 2015 and 2016 draft that remain with their original team. 
and he's now the second highest paid quarterback in NFL history. That's what it took. Every other quarterback selected in either the 2015 or the 2016 draft is no longer with their original team. Is that not unbelievable? The longevity of a former first rounder, how quickly they're shipped out of town? I, I saw that the first time this week and I didn't believe it. I thought it was a typo because it just doesn't seem to make sense. But it, once you look at it, it's right. And it, it's crazy that then you have this, you know, as we said, mid-round pick out of Mississippi State is not only the one that outlasts them all, but is getting paid that much money to go for it. it yeah. Listen, it shows that the draft is certainly no sure thing, mm-hmm. um, but it, it's a, that is an insane stat. I think... I think there were three going into this offseason, and it was Goff, Wentz, and Prescott. Just crazy. And, and now, it's, now it's just Prescott. I mean, and it should, I, I have a list of like 25 names of all the quarterbacks that the Cowboys went through after Troy Aikman, and then they stumbled upon Tony Romo, and yep. then all the names that came after Tony Romo until they stumbled upon Dak Prescott. I love and how you put find, that because it's so true. When you find a diamond in the rough like that, Romo was undrafted and Prescott was in the fourth round. You need to pay them all the money so that they'll stay. And nobody could have predicted that Goff or Wentz would have fallen off the way they did after they got their money. But I just, I feel that that Prescott isn't going to go down that same path. I Wentz is still the one that blows my mind right. how badly it fell apart uh, this year. I still have faith that he can he can turn that around. But yeah, I listen. I trust in Prescott. I think that he'll be able to deliver on that money and uh, and be able. Listen, the Cowboys haven't won a Super Bowl in a very long time. As we now all that's know. now that is the only thing that matters. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. The pressure is is definitely turned up on this one. Uh, but I do think he's the type of guy that can get them there. It's was... can Jerry Jones get out of his own way to let his team get there. <laughs> Yeah, and honestly, the biggest winners are everyone in the world. Every other quarterback. (laughs) Yeah, well, first every other quarterback because of the market, obviously. But by everyone, I mean fans of the NFL and the people who are paid to talk about the NFL. Because if we had to deal with all the off-season stuff that would have happened if Dak had gotten franchise tagged or whether there just would have been more games because that's what it Mm -hmm. was, everybody would have been so much worse off. So now we get to have this happen. We get to talk about it. It's a win for both sides. And now the Cowboys can just go out there and win their Super Bowl. They're not going to. But I was saying. <laughs> in the next four years. In the next we'll, four years. We'll see. We, we will see. They definitely listen. The, the NFC East is not exactly in the best position. No, so right. Dal- Dallas has a chance, especially with that 10th pick this year. We'll see what they do. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Cool. What do you got? So mine is an interesting one because it is not a normal stat as we will go. It was just too good for me to pass up, especially with some of the conversation we've had in recent weeks. And it all stems from an article that Jason Stark put out here on Monday, March 8th on The Athletic. And it is titled, Yes, Juan Soto at 22 just may be Ted Williams. And why do I say that? Because as I said a couple weeks ago, I just glowed about Juan Soto. I think he is the best pure hitter in baseball right now. And here are a few numbers that kind of go with the Soto comparison to Ted Williams. Walk percentage through age 21. Juan Soto is higher than him at 17%. Williams is at 15%. Walks and home run percentage. So we know baseball is all about can you get on base and can you drive the ball out of the ballpark. Soto is at a major league high 23% through age 21, which is just insane. Ted Williams is at 20. 
uh, more walks than than strikeouts in a season. Juan Soto did it this year. Ted Williams did it for two years. If you look at the uh, Zips projection system, which is one of the bigger baseball projection systems, it gives you a bunch of comparable players to Juan Soto and through the age that he's in. So remember, he's going into his age 22 year. These are players two through nine, just to show you the company. Ken Griffey Jr., Albert Pujols, Al Kaline, Frank Robinson, Jimmy Fox, Rogers Hornsby, Ty Cobb, Mickey Mantle, and who is the closest player to him through age 22? Theodore Samuel Williams. So Jason Stark put it so eloquently. It is the perfect article. I loved every second of it. I needed to shout it out. I needed to go through those stats. And just so people understand how good Juan Soto is. We're not even a sponsored pod. Pat just did that by himself. Jason Stark is so happy right now. That was for you, The Athletic. (laughs) Yep. Yeah. Um, Did you say that Soto was going to win MVP this season? I I don't think I did, but I I think he's going to have an incredible season again. I know people have aggressively said that, that he's going to win MVP. I might, I, I personally think that there are other options, but he's 22 years old. I am 22 years old. Yep. And he is doing (laughs) things that... I'm older than I'm 23. Yeah, you're 23, right? Yeah, that's what I thought. And he is quite literally doing things that we haven't seen since 1940. It's Mm -hmm. mind-blowing. Yeah, and just to say, like, Juan Soto will never be Ted Williams the person, which is what Stark also went through in this. I mean, you know, served two years in the military, all the different things with Williams. But just as a pure baseball player, take that out of it. As a hitter, I... Soto, I think, is the best we've seen in in a very long time. And for me, he is... Listen, there are some great hitters in the sport right now, but pure, pure hitters, Soto might be number one. It's it's funny because we obviously didn't see Ted Williams play. No. And I actually usually try and stray away from Jordan versus LeBron, those type of debates, because I think the game is just so different and it's not even worth comparing because especially with a sport like basketball... Everything's different. Everything's different. Baseball might be the least different. Yep. Because hitting is hitting. Mm -hmm. And if anything, velocity has gone up and, and more technology has become accessible under, uh, under legality, obviously. But as I'm talking, I'm, I'm kind of talking myself into baseball might be the most comparable between eras because hitting is hitting. And we're still so early in Juan Soto's career and we're we're still making these comparisons. I don't even know if Mike Trout was compared to Ted Williams. Yeah, no, he he wasn't. Um, Trout Trout is the you know the all around guy. But he's Soto in his own category, definitely. Yeah, more at hitting. Yeah. But no, you're agreed because like, how do you compare Bart Bart Starr and Roger Starbuck to Patrick Mahomes? It, yeah, it's a it's different not league. Comparable. Uh, yeah. How you know how do you do Bill Russell to to LeBron James? You can't. But but baseball, yes, there are differences. Babe Ruth wasn't going up against left-handed specialists that threw 100 <laughs> miles an hour. That that is a fair argument. But in most ways, baseball has stayed very the same yeah. over you know the the last century. So I I think that that's that's as you said, that's the sport you can make some comparisons. And it was just too perfect for me to not bring it up. I love that, and I can't wait to watch Juan Soto play this year. I, I truly think him. Fernando Tatis and Ronald mm-hmm. Acuna Jr. are the most electrifying players to watch. And Mike Trout isn't that, in that group. Not going to argue against that. Mike Trout isn't in that group, and I actually think he is perpetually disrespected because he's he so is. good that people just forget to talk about him. But in this young core of 22 or 23-year-olds, 
it's it's Soto, Tatis, and Acuna. I, I love that three. I think that's the yeah. perfect way to put it. Those three are are going to be superstars for a while and be the face of the sport. Yep. And, and just for Soto for the sport. <laughs> exactly. And just one more note on Soto. Yes, as we talked about all the 2020 season being shortened, I we refer to OPS plus a lot. Mm-hmm. Remember, league average is 100. He was 212. He was oh twice league average and had a 490 on base percentage, which means he basically got on base one out of every two plate appearances. Just think about that. You can't. You can't yeah. put that into perspective. What was that spanning across? Was it just 2020? 2020. Yeah, it's unbelievable. Unbelievable. And people yeah. people barely talk about him, really. Exactly. That's why that yeah. is why I had to do it because I just he needs to get more respect because he is phenomenal. Yeah. Wow. Well said. I I like both of those talking points very very much. Thank you. Go Jason Stark. Because I felt very vindicated when I read that stuff. Yeah, yeah, that is really cool. And if you win, if he wins MVP, you could feel vindicated then too. Yeah, yeah, yep. exactly. All right, so this is now we're doing best of segment. This is our first fan edition. Katie Feidenkevitz left us a, a review of our podcast on Apple Podcast, and as a result, she is able to pick the best of segment this week. And it's very relevant because today is International Women's Day, and she wanted us to do best of slash favorite female athlete. I love that. So first off, Katie, thank you very much for the review and for for submitting it. Uh, I think this is, you know, a, a great and very timely best of to go for. And I'll start off just to let Emma close. Um, but I'm going to go with Carly Lloyd for me. I, I love Carly Lloyd. I, I think she's just so, especially when she was in her prime, you know, so phenomenal to watch either in the midfield or in attack for that U.S. women's national team. It's an absolute star. I mean, she, you know, we all know about, the, you know, the two-time World Cup winner. I believe she's also a two-time gold medalist, a two-time FIFA player of the year as well. She had the unbelievable performance against Japan in the World Cup final, you know, scoring from the halfway line. Just, oh my God, it was ridiculous. And she also spoke at Villanova our freshman year. And I was I there. I do remember that. Not only was I there for it, I got to stand up, look her in the eyes, and ask her a question. So wow, that's that, pretty cool. <laughs> so that kind of solidified things. Carly Lloyd's a superstar, uh, one of the greatest women's soccer players of all time, one of the greatest soccer players of all time, and is just a, a true legend. I love that. I, I had forgotten that she went to Villanova. That's crazy. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, I like that. I mean, Women's soccer now has become so much more relevant than it was even at the beginning of Carly Lloyd's career. Right? Oh, for sure. And now it's dominated by Alex Morgan and, and Megan Rapino, which I think is mm-hmm. is valid and, and totally respectable, obviously. But Carly Lloyd, I really think, started this whole thing. And she's just so talented. And, and that's a very good pick. I do, too. Listen, just think of where we are now. We got the NWSL. You know, mm-hmm. going for for women's soccer and the uh, the women's Premier League in, in England is also televised here in the U.S., which was not something that happened a couple of years ago. So it's so cool. It's, yeah, it's we've seen some growth in it. And it's it's really exciting. Yeah, it's so cool. And and the investor popularity in the NWSL has really blown mm-hmm. me away lately because people really see this as an investment because it's becoming so popular and because it's really starting to get its own fan base. And it's the same thing with, with the WNBA and, and any and softball too. But sure. I obviously I obviously feel very strongly about this, obviously because of the, the position I am in and, and trying to break into the sports industry as well. There are so many people, both athletes and women in sports to look up to 
I have to go with the true goat, the true original, and it's Serena Williams. And Pat and I talked beforehand. He said he was going to go with Serena. And then he said, no, wait, I'm actually going to go with Carly Lloyd. And I said, okay, well, then I'll go with Serena because you can't have this discussion without talking about Serena. Of course. You could spend 10 minutes talking about her statistics, but I'm not going to do that. I think she is quite literally the face of women's sports, Mm -hmm. and she signifies so much more than success on the court, which she obviously has. She's won 23 Grand Slam single titles. (laughs) That's the most for any man or woman in the open era. So I will say that one stat because it needs to be said. But what Serena does on the court, what she does off the court, more importantly, and what what she values and what she means to all of these women across the world who... She, she really made it made it possible. I, I think she did. And her success is so much more than how many tennis matches she's winning. She just means so much to males and females across the world as someone to believe in, as someone who continues to surprise us at her age after, having, after being pregnant. Every, no matter what she does, it is so surprising and inspiring. And that's why she is truly probably the best female athlete. Yeah, and I honestly don't even want to add too much to take away from anything that you said. It just, she is just a a pure symbol of dominance. And and it just, her accomplishments, as you said, speak for herself. And you can't have this conversation without her being at the forefront. Yeah, and I'm not going to, same with the thing about comparing LeBron to, to Jordan or any of the other comparisons you said. You can't compare Serena Williams' success to Tom Brady's success. Yep. A, because they're two different sports, and they're, it's an individual sport and a team sport. But I think doing that inherently devalues both of them because it takes away from both of their success on and off the field. But Serena Williams is a trailblazer in every single form of the word, and I'll leave it there. Absolutely. Yeah. But, what, I mean, we had Eugene Repay on this episode. We have been hoping that he would come on for so long, and it was the perfect time right before the Big East tournament. Yeah, and I think it set it up very nicely for, as we said, what should be a really exciting week. So again, we want to thank Eugene for coming on and spending some time with us to preview the tournament this week. Be sure to subscribe to the show on iTunes. Follow us on Spotify so that you never miss an episode. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram as well, at DidYouHearPod, to let us know what you think. But okay, that'll do it for us on this episode we will be back at it to recap villanova's game on thursday we'll see if there are any more after that but they are for sure playing on thursday afternoon so that's it for the did you hear podcast emma that's a wrap